Man, that's a, that's a slap in the face, that scripture, isn't it? When you really look at it at face value, boy, simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it all goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Whoa. We're going to try to unpack that in a variety of ways today. This really is one of those in-your-face, stand-up-and-be-counted kind of passages, isn't it? It gets you thinking that Jesus actually might have been business about all these things that he was saying about discipleship. He doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room here, does he? And most of us like wiggle room of some kind. It's basically saying, are you in or are you out? You know, are you in, in the game or are you just playing games? Are you the church for real or are you playing church? Are you on the narrow road or are you just talking about it? Are you taking up the cross or merely wearing one around your neck? Jesus is talking about costly discipleship. And he's not talking about cheap grace. He says, count the cost. Don't go for the easy win. Now, from a marketing standpoint, do we have any marketers here? Here? This probably isn't the best pitch <laughs> that you'd want to give people. Except for one thing, it, it's the truth. The Christian life cannot be lived without counting the cost. And as we're, as we're going to learn all through the fall, surrendering ourselves to Jesus and having a clear vision about how to live a sacrificial life. Anything but that is just a flat-out lie. Now, many, many Christian writers, thinkers, and doers have talked about this passage over the years. The one that came to mind this week for me was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who many of you know about, have read about, have seen movies about. He was the German pastor who was martyred right at the end of World War II, and he wrote an excellent book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he wrote that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living it and incarnate. Now Bonhoeffer, by the way, was safely living here in the United States when he felt God calling him to go back to Germany, where he knew there was a very real possibility that the Nazis would kill him. Talk about counting the cost, right? Corey Tenboom, who many of you have heard about, helped to rescue Jews during World War II. She and her family risked their lives for the sake of others, and eventually ended up in the same concentration camp they were trying to save the Jews from. She once said this, why be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God? The apostle Paul discovered discipleship is costly. He said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles. He just goes on and keeps on talking about the dangers that he faced. No wonder he didn't have a lot of traveling companions, right? <laughs> now, do you think Paul had to count the cost of continuing to follow Jesus? Right? I bet he did every step of the way. Now, every time I read Paul, think of Corey Ten Boom, read something of Bonhoeffer, I'm forced to ask myself a question, and it's this. How much of my spiritual life is about trying to get by on the cheap? How much of my spiritual life is about trying to get by on the cheap? Now, getting by on the cheap is when someone counts the cost of being a disciple, and he or she comes to the conclusion that it's just too much to pay, and thus begins a search for a cut-rate version of Christianity that costs us very little. And the problem with that is, and we've all probably tried to do that at one time, right? The problem with that is, is we end up with something that's counterfeit. The question I want to ask you is, do you ever try to get by on the cheap? Are you doing that right now? You're saying, hey, I just, I just need to do the bare minimum and... Uh, We'll just leave it in God's hands. But that's not what Jesus was talking about, was it? He was saying, come after me. Let go of anything that's, that's keeping you from allowing me to be first in your life. Now, a few weeks ago, we, we hosted the Global Leadership Summit. We were one of the satellite site sites. And John Maxwell, a leadership guru, was here. Or, or he was on the screen, anyway. And he said something that I thought was fascinating. He says, people live with uphill hopes, right? Uphill hopes. They, they, you know, they, they want the best for their life, but they have downhill habits. <laughs> uphill hopes, downhill habits. And I get that. I've observed that. I know that just about everything in life that we hope for that's worthwhile is a bit of an uphill climb, isn't it? It, uh, you know, it, but it's worth the effort. It's rewarding. You want to be an Olympic athlete? Uphill. Great marriage? It's uphill, right? An actor? Uphill. A good parent? Uphill. An ethical business person? It's an uphill climb. Now, I coached a lot of kids over the years. I've mentioned that in a lot of sermons. And that, who, of kids who had uphill hopes and dreams about their athletic, you know, careers but they only had downhill habits. <laughs> and so their uphill hope was well worth pursuing, but they, had, but they didn't have any of the accompanying uphill habits that were necessary to achieve their goals. And the thing is, is natural talent wasn't going to get them to where they needed to go. They needed more than that. Everything worthwhile in life has a cost involved. And I think counting the cost of things is a spiritual habit, a spiritual discipline, I'm thinking, and not cultivating it, it's not just a mistake, I think it's sinful. It means we're trying to get by on the cheap. 
Now, every uh, pastor in America has counseled couples who have really problematic marriages. Uh, not at this church, by the way. That's never, that's never happened. So I'm talking about them out there. And some couples are on the look for a quick, cheap fix, and there's no such thing. When some couples realize they're going to have to fight for their marriage, and I mean really, really fight for it, too many of them say we don't want to work that hard. And then there are others who want to figure it all out and are willing to go to any lengths, no matter what the cost or the sacrifice, to try and save their relationship. They're willing to pay the cost. They have an uphill hope, a willingness to abandon downhill habits and to acquire the more costly ones to get them where they want to go. Now, here's my confession. Just look at me. As you can see, I'm built for speed. <laughs> Why are you laughing? My wife was here last night, and she, what she, she was bad. She, she laughed so loudly. That, and she's not here this morning for a reason, so. But <laughs> I look at myself like I'm a sailboat you know, willing to set sail and rip through the waves. I want to skill, ski down the mountain. I wouldn't be interested in, you know, to carrying my skis up it. You know, I'm a jet, not a Zeppelin. Basically, because I'm built for speed, I want my life to go easy and well all the time. Can you relate? And sometimes I'm like many of you, I'm sure, when I... I say to the Lord, hey, Lord, why am I experiencing troubles? I'm a good person. Look at that person over there. <laughs> you know, they're not nearly as good as me. <laughs> and the problem is, is any time I say something like that, I feel, I feel yucky because <laughs> it's a downhill posture. And I begin to realize that perhaps I've acquired more downhill habits than I realize. When we live the life of a disciple, we sign on to be uphill people. We sign on to developing uphill habits. And uphill costs you something. And uphill can be a lot of fun. It can be right the place to be, especially if you're doing it, knowing that God is with you. And it asks us to be a wise steward of our life. But the Christian life will require all of us to do difficult things. I remember reading a story about a guy that was in Young Life, where I'd served for a number of years. His name was Frog Sullivan. He was in, he was in uh, Oklahoma, and he had a kid uh, that he brought with him to a Young Life camp, a very, very popular kid, a real leadership kind of kid, uh, that over a course of a week discovered the real Jesus, and he wanted in on the real Jesus. And Frog Sullivan said, I'm glad you want in, but you got to understand. Cautious something. It's an uphill thing, and the kid said, I am all in, whatever it takes. So this kid very proudly stood up at the end of camp and told everybody that he had met Christ, which is beautiful, right? I mean, just absolutely gorgeous when that happens. On the bus on the way home, Frog said to him, Hey, man, what are you doing tomorrow night? He says, I'm going to just chill with my friends. He says, I got a great idea for you. He says, you know, we talked about that, that uphill journey. He says, 
just don't invite a few friends over. Invite everybody you know. And, and I'll come along to encourage you in this. And you're going, I want you to tell all your friends, <laughs> all your friends, what happened to you this week. And your pledge to, to get rid of all the downhill habits that were dragging you down. I want you to tell them about this journey that you're on. And the kid looked at him and said, well, this could be awkward. <laughs> and he said, uh, I think you should do it. Why? Why would he ask a high school kid to do that? Because he was t asking this kid to take the next step uphill. You know, to tell his friends that he was going to abandon all the stuff that was were bad from him. And he was just going to keep on going uphill with Christ. And that he'd like them to come along on the journey with him. He did it because he wanted this young man to develop uphill habits. Habits, by the way, are, 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 are formed in intersection of knowledge, skill, and desire. You can have all the knowledge and the skill in the world, but if you lack desire, well, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Uh, I want to suggest something to you today, you know, just one thing. One habit that I'd like to see you develop an uphill habit, and sis, you might think this is crazy, head up the hill with a God you actually know. Now, what do you mean by that, Mike? The Apostle Paul said this once. Read this with me if you wouldn't mind. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Paul is saying, there's a God I know. His name is Jesus, the visible expression of the invisible God and that's what I'm going after in my life. I have the high privilege of knowing Christ. Now, when I was young and just starting out in ministry, uh, uh, I was like most other young ministers, full of myself. And I remember speaking one weekend at a camp in Northern California to a group of high school students, probably about 300 high school students, and I thought it went well. Staff colleague came up to me and says, yeah, I thought it went really well for what it was. And I said, what do you mean? He says, Mike, it, it, the only problem is that kids weren't walking away with an image of Jesus that stuck with them. You talked all about Jesus, but not in a way that got them up close and personal. And I went, ouch. <laughs> And that was the beginning of me asking the question I probably ask more in my life than anything else. It's this question. Do I just really only know a lot about God or do I really know him? You see the difference? Now, there's nothing wrong with knowing about God. But you can know a lot about someone or something 
but not really know them. I mean, how many of you would go to a surgeon and says, I know all about surgery. I studied it for years. How many surgeries have you done? None. <laughs> Knows about it, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't know it in the depths of his being. being. So learning about spiritual disciplines, which I love, and studying scripture, learning about different ways to pray are all good. Don't stop if that's your habit. <laughs> you know, keep on cultivating that. But I do know people who know an awful lot about God. All you have to do is ask them. But when you're with them and up close and personal, they really don't seem to know the Lord. And the purpose of all those disciplines we acquire is to help us know God. Let me put it this way. Let's imagine a five-year-old kid comes up to you in that five-year-old kind of way and asks you to tell him or her about God. So you take a deep breath and you say, well, kid, what you need to know is God is good. You're not. Work harder. Or you talk, start talking to the child about the incarnation and the, the mystery of the Trinity and the value of this and the value of that. And the child looks at you and with those five-year-old eyes, you know, and says, no. Please tell me about the God you know. What does God look like? What does he taste like? What does God smell like? How does he... How does God smile? What's it like to be with him, to have him hold you? What does he say when you tell him you've done something bad? Describe his laugh. How does he cry? Just tell me a story about you and Jesus. Those are questions that only could be answered by someone who knows God. Because they're they're, the questions of intimacy, of relationship, of friendship. You know, you know, kids are interesting. They, they actually believe that if we talk about God, if we go to church, that we should know the one we're talking about. And the God we know takes us uphill where our hopes are. The God we only know about can't do that. So the question I want to ask you is, do you know God? Do you know God? trying to make you feel guilty or anything. And some might, somebody might say, well, it's hard to know all of God, absolutely. God is knowable and yet unknowable <laughs> in so many respects. But do you know God? I think that's the biggest question. It's the biggest question of life. Sometimes we get to meet people who just seem to know God. Frederick Buechner said, a Christian is one who points at Christ and, and, and says, I can't prove a thing, but there's something about his eyes and his voice. There's something about a way, the way he carries his head, his hands, the way he carries his cross, the way he carries me. And some of you are thinking, really, Mike, seriously? There's something about his eyes, his voice? <laughs> Get real. I am. I am. I think that's where the Christian life is lived, in knowing God. I have to, I have to know God. 
God only knows how hard I've tried to do it by myself. There's something about knowing God that gives meaning to my uphill hopes. You see, folks, the, the God I know, the God I've studied for 42 years in, in history, you know, sometimes that God is just words on a page. What I'm talking about is knowing a God who jumps off the page and into the whole of our being. That's what I want. C.S. Lewis told stories about God and stories about us. Read through the Chronicles of Narnia, and you see a man totally in love with Jesus. And he called him who? What? He called him Aslan. A God who isn't safe, but is always what? Good. He was able to write that because he knew that. Tim Hansel is a fellow I met once, and he was a real active mountain climber and uh, fell off the side of a mountain one time and lived, but did all kinds of hard things to his body. And in a book that he wrote called Holy Sweat, he writes a little bit about, about getting to know God. He says, at first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. We can all relate, right? He was out of there, sort of like a president, and I recognized his picture and when I saw it, but I, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Jesus, it seems as though life was rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back help meeting me to pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but whew, life hasn't been the same since. When I had control, <laughs> when I had control, I knew the way. It was a bit boring at times, but very predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points, but man, when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts uphill. <laughs> And through rocky places at break new neck speeds, it was all I could do to hang on. And even though it looked like madness, he just said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and said, where are you taking me? He laughed, didn't answer. <laughs> and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, Jesus, I'm scared, he'd lean back and just touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine, and we were off again. He said, give those gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving I received. I did not trust him with my life. I thought he'd wreck it. He says, Jesus just knows bike secrets, knows how to take, make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to short and scary passages. And, and Hansel says, and I learned to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful companion, Jesus, who is the Christ. And when I'm sure I can't do it anymore, he just smiles and he says, pedal. <laughs> what do you think? Does he know God? So what's your story?
What's your story? Uphill habits need, up, uphill hopes need uphill habits. I want to urge you to make it a habit to bring the God you know on the journey with you. Is it your desire to really know God? If it, it is, then do whatever it takes to cultivate intimacy with the Lord. Gain the knowledge necessary. Acquire the skills. And if you lack that desire, let me ask you something. Would you be willing to pray to the Lord for him to stir that desire in you, an act of faith? And if you're will, not willing to do that, then it's probably pretty clear that you might be needing to ask some other questions, deeper questions, about what it is you truly value in life. And if you really desire to know God, I'd urge you to take this one simple step. Immerse yourself in the Gospels. Take a long, hard look at the visible image of the invisible God, Jesus, who came in the flesh. Fall in love with him, or fall in love with him for the first time as you see him on his own journey of faith. It's one, one of the best exercises I've done periodically through my life is just keep on taking a hard look at Jesus. Friends, the Christian life is not designed to be done on, on the cheap. It costs us, it stirs in us uphill hopes, and it demands uphill habits. But here's the beauty of it all, and Hansel said it so well. The beauty of it all is that we get to do all this with Jesus. Jesus who wants to know us because he loves us. Jesus who's eager for us to get to know him. Because that's what we were created to do. We were created to be in union with this great God of ours. And I don't know about you, but to me, that is incredibly good news. Most mornings, I start my morning, I did it this morning, um, with, with a variety of prayer experiences. Um, but one of the places I go that I get great solace from is uh, from a group called the North Umbria uh, Christian Community, and they're, they're in the British Isles someplace. And I want you to read this with me. I will do the call, you will be the response. And what I hope this is, is maybe a reigniting of your passion. Because in this, we're asking God We're just asking God to help us. And if we believe that God really hears our prayers, this could be very, very powerful. Who is it that you seek? Let me say that again. Who is it that you seek? Do you seek him with all your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? Do you seek him with all your mind? Amen. Do you seek him with all your strength? Amen. May it be so, may it be so, may it be so. Amen.